1: Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
3: Faith can be scary. Faith for me is very foundational. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. But in light of the name of this podcast, The Road to Somewhere, I'm going to tell you the best description of faith. Faith is taking that first step when you can't see the rest of the staircase. Sometimes you can't even see the step that you're on and it feels like you're on a road to nowhere.
4: Thanks for joining us on this Road to Somewhere, where we talk about exploration, adventure, major life changes, and transformation. It's about not necessarily knowing where we're going, but having faith that the journey will be worthwhile. I'm Lisa Oz. And I'm Jill Herzig.
5: And, you know, one of the things that has not come up a lot in this podcast is faith, is religious faith, spiritual. That's because we're, of we're, you, Jill. Because I'm a heathen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a complete Heathen, <laughs> I wander in the desert of of nonbelief. <laughs> Tell me about you, no, no, I, I interrupted you. Mm. I had to make a joke, but please go go on no that's the full that's full stop <laughs> that's the story and And through all my transformations, I've definitely had moments where I thought now. Why could we have? Why could we not have been a, just a little more Jewish? The only... We had the rabbi. I don't think we've had a okay. minister on. All right, that's true. But I mean, we were Jewish only in food choices, which we reveled in, but and still revel in. But no, not oh, much faith. Oh, you mean
4: faith. we, your family, not you and I? Yes,
5: not. Oh, oh okay. yes, not you and I. My family. Why could they not have raised me with just a little bit more of
4: a backbone of faith? But you were raised with a backbone of faith. Yeah, and, uh, and um, still, I, Yes. Have that? And and probably had more Seder dinners than you did. <laughs>
5: <laughs> no doubt.
4: Um, yeah, faith has always played a really huge part in my life. Um, I went to religious school. You know, you can't avoid it. Yeah. Chapel every morning, religion class three days a week. It was... It was huge, but that can't be why it plays such a big role in your life. I don't know. I think it's part of my DNA at this Mm. point. But um, and I don't go to church that much anymore, Mm. so I wouldn't. I would say I'm religious, but I'm not a good institutional follower. Let's put that. And in times of
5: change, do you go there to church? No. Well, no. Well, yes. Mm. Either go to go to church physically, or just turn to your faith for a
4: sense of true north. Absolutely turn to my faith for a sense of true north, north not necessarily go to my church, but we have somebody to here today who actually can help us both navigate that yeah. space because i'm I'm definitely and excited about the the this road this road where this road goes and and you're seems like spiritually curious. <laughs> I am so
5: interested in it, and so I mean, honestly, this podcast has just flung open
4: so many doors and shutters for me. Paula Ferris is an Emmy Award-winning journalist, the senior national correspondent at ABC News, host of the podcast Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris, and she is the author of a new book, Called Out, Why I Traded Two Dream Jobs for a Life of True Calling. Paula, thanks so much for joining
3: us today. Thank you, and I think I'd prefer just to listen to the two of you riff. This conversation (laughs) was very interesting. Loved hearing about um, your background and you're kind of curious when it comes to faith and I did not know that about you Lisa that you went to um, chapel every day and that faith was such an important part of your life see we, we're just we're just
5: you guys are full of surprises it's like I opened we're that, full little, of surprises. that little surprise box at yes. the dentist yes well and we're constantly sort of surprising one another
4: too which is <laughs> But that's kind of why we're doing this is so mm-hmm. that we can learn and grow and and learn from each other and learn from our guests. And, right. And it's really exciting. And
3: it's kind of what you do, too, with your podcast, right? Yes. I started doing my podcast, Journeys of Faith, about a year and a half, two years ago. And I just, I know faith's very important to me. And I know uh, that it's so important to, to newsmakers and influencers out there and the people that we're interviewing every day um, in the news media. But unfortunately, we don't give those folks an opportunity from a mainstream platform to talk about their faith. So that's really because of my deep faith and also coupled with the fact that we don't give them the mic to talk about their, their Muslim faith or their Buddhist faith or their Christian faith or their Jewish faith mm-hmm. or their Sikh faith. I thought, what a great opportunity to see these people in a different light, to peel back the layers. And to find out how their faith really informs their decisions and how it gets them through the ups and downs of life, it's been really fascinating. We're on uh, season three, and it's been eye-opening and um, just a really, a really great journey. So, tell us a little bit about. Um, I mean, I do want to go
5: backwards in time and sort of find out what led you to the podcast. But sure, of course. Since we're since we're talking about it, what's what's been the most surprising takeaway for for you from those
3: guests? Because you've really got. A diverse set of voices right. there. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. I talk to people of many different faiths, and this this particular season, uh, season three, we're talking to politicians. So some of the twenty twenty candidates. So we're talking to Democrats and Republicans. It, you know, I've just been fascinated. I want to encourage everyone to come to the table. I think we're in a moment where we're so scared to have these conversations, these much needed conversations, and. Uh, the the reason we're not having these conversations is because we don't show up as our true self at work or at play. So I I took the onus. I want to show up as my true self every day to work as a Christian, as somebody who's going to love God and love people and I want people to see that in me. And I want to encourage my Jewish friends and my Muslim friends to do the same. And guess what? The moment we do that, we start having really provocative conversations about your cultures and your traditions and things that are really important to you. And then we start breaking down walls and barriers. I think there's pervasive ignorance in our society today and in our culture. We aren't taking the time to learn about one another's religions and their cultures and their traditions. The moment we start having those conversations, that's the moment we start having change and breakthrough and breaking down those walls that we need to.
4: What do you do with someone like Jill, for yeah. example, who doesn't well, how have would you any describe faith yourself? tradition. You,
3: now, my dear friend, Dan Harris, who mm-hmm. I, I he and I co-anchored Good Morning America Weekends for yeah, years he, together.
5: He shows up in your book in a yes, wonderful way. and
3: he would describe himself as an agnostic, agnostic Buddhist, but he also was raised Jewish. Mm-hmm. I would say probably more kind of not culturally Jewish, but more like religious Jewish, but that was just one parent. So how would you describe yourself? I
5: think both of my parents... Uh, Well, actually, my mother was Episcopalian and was raised as a church-going person. She married my father, who is Jewish. Her... um, Did she convert? No, she did not. She was not particularly religious. She would have described herself as an atheist. Her parents were treated as if some sort of tragic thing had happened in their family. And literally, the, I think... I think the last day they went to church was when the minister came up to them and said I'm so sorry for the tragedy in your family mm-hmm. and my grandmother clutched her breast and said oh what are you talking about is something what happened what is someone ill and he said no your, your daughter is marrying a Jew mm-hmm. and they walked out and never never really walked back in mm-hmm. so that I think there was something um if there was if there were any threads of faith in my parents they were broken at that time when they got married. Right. So we were raised to, yes, we went to Seder at my grandmother's. It was all about the food, as I said. J- you know, culturally Jewish, but not really mm. anything. So it's. I would say that it's. I'm a person who is curious but feels a void. And, um, it, you know, I'm sort of searching for a comfortable place to mm-hmm.
3: sit in belief in something. Do you I'm so, not sure what so it you is. said a comfortable place, do you feel uncomfortable? I feel like we're are we group therapy right yeah, now? would anyway, definitely. Um, do you like playing the role of therapist? Do. <laughs> do you feel uncomfortable right now? No. Because I talked to Sam Harris. No. Sam Harris is one of the four horsemen of atheism. So yeah. I like to t- I like to have these provocative conversations. Yeah. And just Yeah It's not an an accusation, it's just an yeah. inquisition. We're having great conversations. So are you uncomfortable? You said no. you were looking for a comfortable place. No I'm okay. when I say
5: I'm looking for a comfortable place, I think what I mean is a place Place where I know that I've found something that satisfies me, mm-hmm. that um, feels true to me. but it might not be a place where I feel sure of anything,
3: right? So well, in some ways being
5: comfortable, being unsure, and just sitting in that liminal space between believing something and believing nothing.
3: Yeah, and I, I'm i very sure in my faith, but again, it is faith, and faith is the evidence of things unseen. We can't prove every single thing, um, but—and faith is, like Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, taking that first step when you can't see the rest of the staircase, there's always an element of faith in everything that you believe um, you know you believe that the sun's gonna come up tomorrow at the same time you have faith that it's going to why because of the patterns and the rhythms so there's we exercise faith on a daily basis in a multitude of things I'm very sure of my faith it's you know one of the it's when my father was was dying at, one of my last words to him was i'll I love you forever and I'll see you again I, and I I have confidence in that but yes there are. Things that are hard for me to describe and hard for me to explain about God. And my brother-in-law, who was an atheist and he converted, um, actually when he was a medical student, you know, he had an epiphany. But he—I I, love to have really thought-provoking conversations about him. And he said, if I could explain everything about God, then God would be too small. Mm. And that's why God is God and we are not. You know, we are finite and we are mortal— And we are looking through a glass dimly, and then we'll see face to face. You know, there are so many analogies in the Bible, um, you know, to God a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And, you know, so I, but I, I go back to that. There's a lot of things I can't explain, but for those things that I, that are unexplainable, like why does God allow suffering? You know, why tragedy? I don't have all of the answers, but I know, I know, and the promises I cling to, I know that we're not promised a, a pain-free life because this isn't the end game. I know the last piece on the puzzle and I'm confident, or the last piece on the chessboard and I'm confident of that. But um, yeah, there's there definitely are a lot of questions and I think it's important to dig into your belief system and try to answer some of those questions outside of this is how I was raised. And I was raised in a very religious household, but it took a, a long time for me to really not just come to grips, but make that faith my own so that it was something that I leaned on
4: heavily. When when we come back, we're going to dig into some more questions, but we're going to shift gears maybe to the secular and talk
2: about your career a little bit.
4: Before the break, we were chatting with Paula Ferris about her faith, and I wanted to ask about—well, Paula's new book is all about how she left her really powerful jobs to pursue a life that was more authentic in her faith. But I want to talk about
3: those really powerful jobs and exactly what happened for a second. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So, you know, I— I am a broadcaster and I worked my butt off. I worked in small markets in Dayton and Cincinnati and then Chicago. And then my husband and I, we had two little kids when we were in Chicago when we got a call to come to the network, to come to ABC. And as a broadcaster, that's the pinnacle. You can work at local affiliates. You can work in your St. Louis affiliate. You can work in your Cincinnati affiliate. affiliate. But when you get called to work for the network, which is the network is seen on every single television throughout the country, I mean, that's a huge opportunity. So eight and a half years ago, almost nine years ago, we packed up everything that we knew and loved. We're Midwest kids. I'm from Michigan. He's from Indiana. We met in school, in college, in Ohio. We're college sweethearts. We'll be married 20 years this year. Congratulations. And, um, thank you. I appreciate it. And so we we moved out here. We didn't know anyone and um, had this great opportunity to work for the network. I started working overnights. Um, so I I didn't even know that ABC had an overnight show. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? It was called World News Now. And I did that for a year. And it was a great way just to get my sea legs in news and um, kind of get acclimated to working for the network. and And then I got promoted after a year just to be a general correspondent and then GMA Weekend and then The View. So things were just really like... Moving fast, um, and but the network
5: kept piling things on top of you without yes. necessarily taking anything away. away. Right.
3: Well, I mean that was my overnight own doing thing. too. That okay. was, and a lot of that was my own doing when I was doing GMA Weekend, and then they asked me to do the View. I said, "So, we'll, how's this going to work?" And they said, "Well, we'll try to get you a day off every week." And I had three little kids at the time, and that was, you know, I go back to that moment, and that was probably something I. You know, I like I said, I describe myself as a woman of faith, and I think people knew that about me, but I was so consumed with my career, and I was so consumed with my job, and I was—I think when I got into the business, I got into it for the right reasons—clear eyes, full heart, can't, can't lose— But then I was consumed by success and accolades and accomplishment and achievement. Why why do you think it took hold in you that way? I mean, what was it? Because it's a high. It's a Mm -hmm. thrill. And I think just like any addiction, work can become an addiction. And work was my addiction of choice. Anytime I experienced any sort of... um, you know, trial, I would throw myself back into work. I had a miscarriage and then an emergency surgery. And four hours later, I went back to work. Like, that's just how I coped. Work was my coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And it's what gave me a sense of fulfillment. Not my kids, not my husband, not my faith. It was work that was completely becoming an addiction. And I was finding my entire identity in it. And going back to the view, Jill, you raised, you know, they were throwing more things on my plate. But a lot of that was my own fault. And that was a situation where I I should have said, I've got three kids. Um, I can't work seven days a week, even though I would go through stretches working 21 days straight without a day off. Um, I should have said I need some time, but I was consumed and addicted to my job and to to success. And then I eventually burned out.
4: So if there's someone out there listening who works the way you do maybe not by choice maybe because they've you know got their single mom and they've got kids that they have to support and so they're working double jobs and six or seven days a week and it's not by choice right, right? um is or even if it is by choice if you were to look at what you were doing would the, could there have been a way for you to integrate your faith and who you were at your core of into
3: working like that. If of if your identity
4: was about being yes, the absolutely. soul you are,
3: yeah. it could have worked. It totally could've worked. But you know, unfortunately you look at the messages that we get from our society and they're all lean in and one of the first questions you'll ask somebody, your name, what do you do for a living? We ask our kids from the time they're able to walk what do you want to be when you grow up what do you want to do and so even subconsciously we are trained and taught that our only value is our vocation right in the society that we live in and I think it's probably much more compounded here in the United States than it is elsewhere but absolutely I could I could have I could have pulled back and and but I didn't And I, I, I leaned in and I pushed in and I worked hard and I thought my calling was my career and, but I had it all wrong. My identity was just consumed in what I did, completely consumed. And then I, I just burned out. I really burned out. And... What were some of the signs and signals of that? Well, I, you talk about my year of hell, Mm. I knew that, I think you can sense in your spirit when, when... We were talking earlier, Jill and I, sometimes, you know, things are off kilter. Your your body speaks to you. Your health might start breaking down. You may feel like a knot in your stomach. You don't have a peace about something. For me, I looked around and I was losing sight. All of the, the, my professional choices weren't aligning with my professed values. Okay. I looked around and the relationships that I had boasted were important to me, my husband, and my kids, my husband and my kids and my church, all those relationships were failing So everything was kind of falling apart around me, but I was so consumed with what I did. And I was then consumed with the fear, that fear of what people would think. What would they think? I'm at the height of my career. You know, the sky's the limit for me. What would people think? Will they think I'm a failure? Will they think that that I can't hack it, that I'm weak? What are they going to think if I walk away? Because who does that? And one of my bosses even said, you're crazy to give up an anchor seat. People don't do that. They work, people have worked their entire life to achieve what you've accomplished and, and the sky's the limit for you. And so anyway, I I bought into that for a little bit more. I let my fear drive me and my, everything's continued to crumble. And I go through a tough season, Jill. And I, you're afraid I, of that disappearance I'm, I'm of afraid, what people would say? And, and, everything. And yes, and I'm afraid of it. But then, and... but then I go through a season, five within seven months, I have five major Events happened to me. I had a miscarriage with an emergency surgery. Then I freak accident. I'm getting ready to go live for GMA, and a pedestrian throws an apple 60 miles an hour at me. Okay, knocks me almost out. I have a concussion for three weeks. Freak accident. Like who throws an apple at somebody so hard? The the doctor or the police said it's not. It was 60 miles an an hour. It was an assault. Yeah, an apple assault. I'm like, how weird can my life get? Right. Right. Of course. (laughs) But had my face been turned slightly to the right it would have been shattered. Hmm. So then the day I get, I'm out of work for three weeks because of the concussion. The day I'm cleared to go back to work, I get in a head-on car crash. Then I get influenza followed by pneumonia. I was like, all right, God, I got it. So, yeah. so I think like, you're, like you said, your body can, can, give you, can give you signals that you need to slow down. People around you, you can have a, a sense in your spirit. For me, like I had to go through that season. I had to be literally hit upside the head with an apple. Uh, I I think God allowed that space to happen, that unfortunate space, but it finally got my attention. And I said, okay, I need to slow down. I got to pump the brakes. So that's when I decided to step away from my two dream jobs into this weird space, but I didn't know what I was walking into. My bosses said, okay, we'll support you, but what do you want to do? And I knew it was not a good career move. They told me it wasn't a good career move, that it would hurt my opportunities in the future. I accepted that. I said, I just need to get my life back. I still want to work here, but I want to work Monday through Friday. And um, I would love to launch a faith podcast because it's something that's really important to me and I'm passionate about it. And I don't think we talk about it, at least not from mainstream platform in the right manner. And they allowed me to do that. But then what happened was the moment that I stepped away, I I had this sense of loss and identity. I didn't know who I was outside of my job. And... I, it was it was then that I realized my addiction. It was in that moment I thought, "Oh my gosh, my entire life I've professed to be this, you know, a, a Christian who doesn't get her worth from what she does. I've said this doesn't define me. You know, I'm not defined by who I am, I'm defined by uh, or not I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by who I am." And then when the rubber met the road and I actually stepped away, I was like there was so much guilt because I realized I'd become the exact person that I professed I wouldn't become. I didn't know who I was outside of my job. So how did you go
4: about creating a new identity? Because Jill went through a similar situation after many, well, I, many years of working yeah, at, um, in one I was, industry. I was relieved
5: of my job because because the magazine industry <laughs> was, was in collapse. Still but it was a
4: reinvention of or rediscovering of who you were apart from the job. Yes,
5: and I've definitely felt um, that identity disruption, although mm-hmm. I think... In retrospect, what I realized is that the job wasn't a great expression of of who I was on Mm -hmm. lots of levels. So it wasn't; it didn't feel as completely destabilizing, right? Because there was something at the core that had never really been satisfied or expressed in my job. Okay. Um, So I was I was able to say, well,
3: (laughs) so you, what you were like, people would tell me, oh, this is what you were born to do, Paula. So that's what. No,
5: people definitely told me. I was, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. early in my career. My boss said to me, "You're going to be an editor in chief." I was like, "Really? You think?" Mm -hmm. But um, so I, I definitely heard that. But all along, I'd thought to myself, "I love this work, but the sort of show pony
4: aspect of it is is just not me." When when we come back, we're going to get the secret sauce of how we rediscover our identity. You have the sauce. You have the
6: sauce. Okay.
4: We've been chatting with Paula Ferris about uh, rediscovering our identity, especially when walking away from something that we thought did define who we are. So,
5: mm-hmm.
4: what what was the process? What? How did you figure out who the real Paula is? Right. and How did she stand up?
3: Well, I think it's a. <laughs> will the real Paula please stand up? Yes. Yeah. And all got that in her heads. <laughs> I think you know, I had to go through that. To figure I, I had to fall flat on my face and I had to realize that I had it all wrong in order to to realize what changes need to be made but it was in that that moment after when I walked away and I didn't know who I was anymore that's when began a time of deep introspection, prayer, um, you know consulting with people trusted people.
5: Um, yeah, I really liked that component of your book you recount some seminal conversations mm-hmm, you had right. And it just sounded like you put yourself out on a limb and talked to people like Robin Roberts and
3: Dan Harris, who you mentioned, mm-hmm. and just laid it all out there, got really yeah, honest with that, them. People that I'm very close to, that I trust with my heart, and I trust, you know, n- not just with my heart, but, um, you know, with my mind as well. And diverse people, um, you know, Dan's an agnostic Buddhist, but I think there's things that you can learn from every single person. And, you know, they were both able to really guide me through it. And it was just a time of deep reflection. And what I came to was that, you know, we, we, we're we all looking for a purpose in life. We're all looking for a calling. Unfortunately, and even in our synagogues and our churches, that's synonymous with career. So that's the issue right there Is is we're, we're taught that we have to find our calling and we have to find our purpose. And unfortunately, those are almost always intertwined with what we do, right? so i had to like peel all of that back and i really feel like i just had a word that we do have a calling we have we have dual callings in our life and i feel like my purpose has nothing to do whereas before i may have said my purpose is to to use my talents and gifts and and but it was more focused on what i did in career Now I would say my purpose and my faith calling will never change. And that's just to love God and love people. And that will, that's going to stay the same throughout my entire life. Has nothing to do with what I do for a living. Okay. That is my purpose on earth to love God and love people. I, in my book, I call it my faith calling. Now I have, I have a vocational calling as you have a vocational calling, Lisa, and you have a vocational calling. That's going to change. Your vocational calling will change. And as long as you see your vocation for what it is, yes, I'm using my unique gifts and my unique talents, which we all have, but I'm using that as a vehicle. It, the vocation is just the vehicle by which you're going to fulfill your purpose, by which you'll love God and by which you'll love people. And so for me, it was just this small paradigm shift of knowing that, um, yes, who I am defines me and who I am is... I'm just here on this earth to love God and love people. I'm not here to be the best broadcaster. I'm here to love God and love people, and the vocation is just the way that I'm uniquely equipped to do that. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. and also in that space, giving myself the permission to allow my vocation to change because it will change. I kind of liken it to a vine and a branch. Like your vine is your purpose in, in this in this world. Okay, the branch is the vocation. The branch, the vocation needs to stay connected to the vine. You have to always remember what you're doing and who, why you're doing it. I'm doing this not to achieve accolades and success, which I think are a byproduct. they will be a byproduct, but I'm doing this because I'm loving God and loving people in this capacity. And so, it was just, for me, a, a simple mind, a, a simple paradigm shift, but it really It made such a huge difference and then giving myself the permission to branch out, giving myself the permission to not see myself so one-dimensionally, giving myself the permission to off-ramp, which I think 40% of women and mothers off-ramp, we see ourselves... As one thing. You see yourself as a broadcaster, you see yourself as an author and an editor, but like peeling back, peeling all of that back, what makes me a good broadcaster? What makes you a good nurse? What makes you a good editor? Looking at those skills and talents and saying, you know what, those can translate to so many different capacities. Because I think we see ourselves as one thing. I said for so long, I don't know what I could do outside of broadcasting. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I know. I'm a, I'm tenacious. I'm inquisitive. My nickname was Paula Twenty Questions. Growing up, so I just I'm inherently curious and nosy. Those talents can can manifest in so many different areas. So I think so just so, just limiting myself. I was limiting myself for so long.
5: You know, I was I'm really interested in this idea of a vocational calling and a faith calling, and I see the connection the the vine and the branch idea. But it, as, as somebody who job hunted for a discouragingly long, long period mm-hmm. of time, you know, what happens if you're not finding a branch that connects with your vine? Like, mm-hmm. it, it does feel on some level like out it's out a high bar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's got to be, I need, my, I need to make sure that my faith calling is, is satisfied and that my life— that I'm leading my life in a way that's true to that. But I also need to find a vocational calling, and ideally they're somehow connected.
3: They are connected. I did a really fascinating interview with um, a government guy, And and I write about him in the book, his name is David Shedd, and he was the director of national intelligence after 9-11. So he had, I think, 18 different agencies reporting to him. And I wanted to interview him because I saw in his bio that he was called to go into government. And again, that word calling, like we just throw it around all Mm. the time. And it's always connected with career, right? So I asked him, I said, okay, I've said I feel called to go here and I've been called to do this, but I don't know how to articulate what that even means. And he gave me, he shed some light on it. And it was one of those aha moments for me. He said, you know, you're being vocationally called to do something with three things. One, are you good at it? Two, do you love it? And three, do other people in your life that are trusted recognize that you're good at it and you love it? It's not enough to just be good at it. It's not enough just to love it. Like For instance, my son, one of my children, is so good at golf. It's It's his gifting. And we notice it and recognize it. He doesn't love it. Okay? So it has to be those three things. What are you good at? What are you curious about? Okay? Mm -hmm. So what are you curious about? And then what other people, trusted people in your life, notice that you're good at and you're curious about? Does that make sense? Yes, it totally does. Um... And I think just looking back, I I wasn't able to put those pieces together, but then in hindsight, okay, this is what made me a good broadcaster. I'm curious. I love to ask questions. And my high school teacher and my college professors were continually encouraging me in that space. Mm-hmm. So when I went back to look at it, I'm like, oh, that was that's like the, the, the three-step formula to vocational calling in my mind. Are you good yeah. at it? Are you curious about it? And do other people recognize that you're good and curious about it?
4: How do you get your life calling...
3: Or I forget what, what do you call it? You can call it your faith calling your or your purpose. Your faith calling, okay. You say, your, say, call it your purpose. So what
4: if your vocational calling or choice or where you've ended up, maybe mm-hmm. you weren't called to it, you're good at it, people recognize you're good at it and you love it. Say you're a, a day trader, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> making or a hedge fund <laughs> right, right, right. manager. You're not particularly making the world a better place. You're making a lot of money. Um,
3: but you could make the world a better place with your money. And I think that that I think we're all each equipped and capacitated in different areas too. You can use your money for good.
2: Mm. Yeah. Is that,
3: is that so, what you're but going but
4: on? no, I was saying if, if it would ha- your purpose or your faith calling mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily merge with your vocational calling. You have to do it outside of your vocational calling. Because what if I mean, if you're working any job, right. the majority of jobs aren't necessarily, you know. Transforming the world. Right. You're working at at a department store selling dresses. It's so you're saying it's nece- it's out of necessity. Correct. It's not out of love. Correct. Mm-hmm. So is there a way to have parallel tracks? Do they? Ha- does everyone have to be you know like curing coronavirus? I mean, no. D- it, right. So so no. if what you're doing isn't the most laudatory of professions, mm-hmm. is there a way to have a parallel track for your
3: faith? Calling, so that it's not necessarily your day job. No, I see what you're saying. And I think that's where the paradigm shift has to happen too. Like, yes, I don't, like, I'm at a point now where I don't get my identity from what I do anymore. My identity and my only purpose on this earth is to love God and love people. The vocation is the way that I do it. So whether you're a desk clerk or whether you're working at Macy's, that is your vehicle, and that's your conduit by which you're going to fulfill your purpose. So you and just, you just it's, love you just, people and God within whatever with, job you're doing, and that's what you have to remember. And and if you're not a person of faith, like I, I and I write about that too, like Dan Harris, who is my dear friend, his his faith calling or his purpose might just be to be a kind person and to treat people with respect. So you remember, whatever in whatever capacity you're in, in whatever vocation you're in. That's just an opportunity for you. You've been uniquely placed in that position to, as Dan would say, be kind to people and to be respectful of people. It's not so much about what you do anymore. It's about who you're doing it for, why you're doing it. And so we've got to get the emphasis about off of what we do and our identity and everything focused on, on what we do and peel back the layers. And I, I have stopped asking my children the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? because i'm feeding that that message and i'm i'm telling them even subconsciously and even consciously your only value is your vocation your only worth child is what you do but that's we we have to stop asking that question we have to peel back the layers and focus more on who we are and why we're here and not so much on what we do but unfortunately you know, it's going to take a lot of work because we're—it's ingrained in our society. It's part of our—it's—it's it's part of our nomenclature. It's part of our language. It's part of our expression. What do you do? Hi, I'm so and so. What do you do? You know, Can you
5: imagine I, if we all went to cocktail parties and said to each other, "Hi, I'm Jill," that's and you said,
3: they... "I'm Paul," and I mm-hmm. said, "So, who are you really? Like, what, try and try to think about what's at that the like, core of you. <laughs> if you had to introduce yourself, yeah, outside of what you did, how how would you describe yourself? If you're interested, I'm Jill. I'm. And I'm, a, I'm also a super curious person. See, and there I you can't go. wait to get to know you because that's you how go. I feel about people. No, that's amazing, though. And, you know, when my dad passed, it said nothing about what he did on his, on his gravestone. It said that he was a loving father and a loving Jiddu, which is Arabic for grandfather and husband. And that really stuck with me, it put everything in perspective. It's not so much it's not about what we do so much, yes, it's great to love what you do and to kind of you know be in your sweet spot, but just remember that's just the way that you're gonna love people such good advice, thank you so much for sharing it with us. We'd love
5: having you on thank you this, thank you. This has been so nice so
4: Everybody.
3: Are we going to solve all the world's problems? I mean, <laughs> right now. Right now. Today. today.
5: Okay. I think we kind of did. I think we did. I think
4: I think the world is, is solved. Love each other. Love God. <laughs> okay, or you your go. definition of God. So, mm-hmm. so exactly. Now, so how will describe it?
5: So now, listener, all you have to do is uh, check out Paula's wonderful podcast, Journeys of Faith, and her new book, which is Called Out, why I traded two dream jobs for a life of true calling. You can also check her out on Instagram at Paula Ferris.
4: The Road to Somewhere is recorded in New York City. Make sure you share, subscribe, rate, and review us. And let us hear from you. Where are you on your journey? Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod to Somewhere. Email us at Road to Somewhere at iHeartMedia.com. Special thanks to our producer, Alicia Haywood. Thanks for joining us on The Road to Somewhere, available on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: any disease.